So it is second Sunday of Lent. Uh, I think Lent is a vital time in the Christian calendar. Uh, it is a time, and I, I'm using the metaphor, I've used it before. Lent is a time to prune our lives. So for anyone who knows anything about healthy trees and plants, you gotta, you got to get rid of some of the, the, the limbs. You, gotta, you can't have them all grow wild, right? you got to prune it so that it's healthy, so that the, the, the branches that you leave get more of that energy, more of that foliage, and it can be vibrant, right? So Lent is a time in our lives to think about the stuff that we fill our minds with, our hearts with, our time with, our money with, that are not life-giving, that do not connect us to God, that do not connect us to one another. Maybe there are things that actively disconnect us from ourselves, from God and from each other. And we let's prune that off, right? We get 40 days to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to live with an open hand. I'm going to give this over to God. So I want you to consider that throughout the sermon series. Uh, what are some of the things that we fill our heart and mind and life with that are not life-giving that we should prune out? Uh, the flip side of that, right, is what are, what's something we might want to add the way with the metaphor of plants it, we need good soil, and we need water, and we need sunlight. What are the things that we might want to add to our lives that will connect us spiritually, that will connect us to one another, that will connect us to God? I don't think it has to be grandiose. Uh, these can be small changes in our habits, right? The power of baby steps. I mean, all the wisdom you need to know is in the movie, What About Bob?, you just got to take baby steps, right, to get on the bus. <laughs> baby steps to find your seat on the bus. Uh, but that's like slowly changing habits. It's slowly doing some things less and doing some other things more. And the kind of transformation that happens over time can be wonderful to behold. And so that's what Len is about. God has big plans for you and for me. God has people he wants us to love and to care for. God has moments where he's going to need us to step up. God has ministries he wants us to be a part of. Well, that requires training. It requires like um, the way if I wanted to learn a new instrument. It's the same if I wanted to learn how to cook. Uh, if, if God wants me to prepare a meal for someone six months from now, I better start doing some cooking lessons, right? So what spiritual training might mean things like uh, engaging scripture more, prayer more, mindfulness practices, fasting. It might mean getting rid of things like social media, television, the news, the things that suck our lives dry. Uh, pruning might mean a toxic relationship. Bye-bye, right? And it might mean filling that with other things. And so it's just, I can't answer this for you. It's something that you have to reflect on. What to prune and what to add. Today's scripture is in Romans, but the whole chapter is about the life of Abraham. So I want to talk a little bit about Abraham. And it's going to feel like this has nothing to do with Lent or what I just said, and then I'm going to bring it back at the end. Boom, I'm going to bookend it. Uh, so you're just going to have to go on a, on a journey with me here. So for those that don't know about Abraham, I'm just going to tell you a few brief things, right? So Abraham, you have to picture him, right? He's got his family. He's got his land. He's got his occupation. And God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave this land, and I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. 
right? You're going to have to trust me. And this is, again, faith. I want to make this clear. We're going to talk about faith today. We often think about faith like believing something. Like I have faith that God is three in one or something, right? Like I, I intellectually assent to the Trinity uh, or to the resurrection. But faith is not predominantly about intellectual assent, about, like believing something. Faith is trust. Faith can't be divorced from faithfulness. Faith shows up in how I live. So Abraham uproots his, him and Sarah and goes to a new land. And this is a giant risk because he has to have a new job, a new economy. In the ancient world, being around your relatives and extended family and friends, your own tribe, mattered a great deal, gave you stability and security. He's leaving all that behind to trust God, right? So they end up in this new place where uh, they have no children. So God called me. If I'm Abraham, God called me. He says I'm going to be a patriarch, but I'm 99. The ages in the Bible always mess me up, but, I, but the Bible makes it clear. However old he was, he couldn't have kids anymore. He's past that age. Sarah, well past menopause and hot flashes. She's not supposed to. Her, her womb's closed up. And so it's like, well... Fine patriarch I am. I, I don't have any descendants, right? And God says, you're going to have to trust me. Uh, I, I, I bring dead things back to life. Right? This is the message all the way from the beginning. You think Sarah's womb is dead. You think your body is too old. You, but I bring dead things back to life. And so Abraham says, all right. And of course, Isaac um, is the product of this. And so Abraham has, has been forced throughout his life to sort of take these big, like these risks, these moments of trusting God. And so uh, scripture often refers to Abraham uh, as like the father of our faith, the, the pillar, the example of what faith really looks like. So I'm going to read from... Uh, Romans chapter 4 with this in mind. Romans 4 verses 13 through 25. Uh, and I'm going to stop in the middle and make a few comments. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. If they inherit because of the law, then faith has no effect and the promise has been canceled. The law brings about judgment, but when there isn't any law, there can't be any violation of the law. That's why the inheritance comes through faith, so that it will be on the basis of God's grace. In that way, the promise is secure for all of Abraham's descendants. That means all of us. Not just for those who are related to the law, not just Israelites, but also for those who are related by the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So here in Romans, Paul is making it clear, Abraham is not credited because of the logic of the law. Abraham is credited because of the logic of faith. It is through God's grace and Abraham's faith uh, that, we, that we see sort of our call. 
as the people of God. So I want to talk about this idea of the logic of the law. The logic of the law uh, in, in a lot of the Old Testament is something like, if you follow the law and are really obedient, if you are awesome and live a good life, then good things will happen to you, right? Faithfulness to the law means blessing. If you don't follow the law, if you violate the law, if you are weak, weak-willed, lazy, whatever, and you don't follow it, then bad things are going to happen to you. It is the logic of our culture. It's the logic of meritocracy. It is the logic that says, work hard, do the right things, and you deserve good stuff. Be lazy, do bad things, you deserve bad stuff. And so the logic of the law is often the logic of trying to figure out what it is I and other people deserve. What do they deserve? I'm doing this all the time. What grade do they deserve? Or like if you're a boss, how much money do they deserve? Or if you're a judge, how much time in jail do they deserve? We're always trying to, to figure this out. The logic of the law has two basic outcomes and neither one of them is very good. The logic of the law leads to either pride or despair. The logic of the law leads to pride because if you're really strong-willed, you're really diligent at following that law, then you're like the Pharisees and you're awesome and you deserve blessing, and you are filled with a kind of pride that says, hey everyone, look how awesome I am. And in fact, it even puts me in a place where maybe I'm able to judge other people for not being nearly as awesome as I am, right? Or the logic of the law leads to despair because you have tried and tried and tried to be good enough. You tried your whole life to do things right and you just can't ever seem to figure it out. You always just seem like a little bit of a failure I can't do it, and that's despair. But fortunately, our only alternative is not the logic of the law, but in fact, we are asked to live into the logic of grace, the logic of faith. And this is the logic of gift. It's not what someone deserves or does not deserve. It's about accepting what is offered and offering to others, what they may or may not deserve. It's about how, learning how to accept gifts and give gifts. It's grace. It is the logic of forgiveness. It is the logic of compassion. It is the logic that says, I won't ever be good enough, ever. I will never live into my call as a child of God. I will always need God's grace. I will always need faith that God loves me in the midst of my failures. So instead of trying to figure out what I deserve or what other people deserve, I wonder if we could begin to train ourselves to think about it in terms of uh, how much extra grace do I need to accept from other people and from God? How much love? Right? And how much should I be giving away to other people? I'm going to give you just some easy little examples. They're like... It's just a shift in my whole 
perspective on life. So for much of my early teaching career, my feedback to students was to try to justify to them why they got the grade they got. All my feedback was to let them know this is why you deserve this grade. So students that would do excellent work would get very little feedback from me. Great job, keep up the good work, A, right? Because I don't really need to justify to them. But, but the C student who I knew would be like, wait a second, why did I get this grade? I had to give a ton of feedback to justify why they got what they got, right? Why this is what they deserved. Because I knew there was going to be like tension. What a weird way to teach. <laughs> so students that do excellent work get minimal feedback from me. But if I think of my role as instructor differently, I'm not here predominantly trying to give them the grade that they deserve, but as an instructor, my job is to mentor every student to give them enough love, attention, instruction, grace, so that they can become the best version of themselves. I should be giving as much feedback to the A student as the D student. I should be filling them with Feedback that says, this is excellent work, and do you know how you can get better and improve? Do you know how you can move further towards self-actualization, towards all that you're capable of? But that's feedback that's motivated by gift. How, can, how is my feedback, how can my feedback be a gift to this student rather than a justification for why they deserve this grade? Do you see the subtle shift there in my motive, in how I view that? Can you see how it shifts in how I parent my children if I do this well, which is, I don't know, 42% of the time, um, where I'm not trying to do this because I think you deserve it, Sullivan, but the discipline I'm giving you, the chores I give you, the correction I give you is because I, I want to see you live the fullest life possible. I want to see you reach your potential. I want this to be a transformative moment, right, where you learn responsibility. But that's different. It becomes a gift if what this is is about transformation. It's not about what the person deserves. What would it be like if we started thinking about things in terms of grace, uh, in terms of gift, in terms of faith, not the law. Not the law that leads to pride or despair. The law is when we all start playing the comparison game. The law is when I'm always either one up or one down to the person I'm next to. They're, they're better than me. Oh, look how successful they are. Oh my gosh, can you, can you see all that they get done in a day? And immediately I'm one down. I fall. Despair might be too strong, but I'm, I'm heading in that direction, right? Because I'm not good enough, nor will I ever be. Or I'm around people and I think, why do they do that? Why, are, why can't they get that done on time? What is their problem? And now I'm one up, and now it's pride. I want to get rid of that whole mentality. I want to put it aside. I want to replace it with something that looks more like forgiveness that looks more like grace. I want to keep reading. Um, verse 17. As it is written, I have appointed you to be the father, Abraham, of many nations. 
So Abraham is our father in the eyes of God in whom he had faith, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. When it was beyond hope, Abraham had faith in the hope that he would become the father of many nations in keeping with the promise God spoke to him. That's how many descendants you will have. Without losing faith, Abraham, who was nearly a hundred years old, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb, which was dead. He didn't hesitate with a lack of faith in God's promise, but Abraham grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what God promised. Therefore, it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. But the scripture, the scripture that says it was credited to him wasn't written only for Abraham's sake. It was written for our sake because it is going to be credited to us too. Here's the key now. It will be credited to those of us who have faith in the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Who takes dead things and makes them alive. So I want to shift a little bit and I want to talk about faith and what we think faith means. And I'm always so hesitant to talk about faith in the context of stories like Abraham where everything worked out, right? Because I think we often make the mistake that faith is what I believe. I have faith in the Trinity, in the virgin birth, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. And faith is what I believe, and faith is not what I do. Faith stops being a verb, and I think it needs to be a verb. But another mistake I think we make with faith is that we'll say things like, oh, no, no, I have faith. God's going to get me that job. I have faith. God's going to heal my dad. I have faith. Uh, God's going to make sure I get the money I need for that new car. We have faith um, in circumstances. We have faith in a particular set of outcomes we desire. And then we'll look at Abraham and see, oh, look, Abraham had faith that everything would work out. That's, that's where Abraham's faith was. But I want us to think about Abraham's faith occurring before anything worked out. Before he knew how any circumstance would happen. Abraham's faith is not predominantly that everything's going to work out. It's that no matter what happens, faith, I would argue, is that no matter what happens, I know God will not leave me, abandon me, forsake me, stop loving me. No matter how bad my circumstances get, God is with me. God can take what looks to be dead and bring it back to life. But sometimes, sometimes that resurrection we're hoping for, sometimes those great circumstances we have faith in, never come to pass, at least not in this life. But my faith isn't in a certain set of circumstances. I hope that your faith isn't in a certain set of circumstances that you just know God's going to make happen. But that our faith is a deep-seated disposition, a deep-seated character trait that no matter what happens to us allows us to cling to God, 
Turn to God. Reach out to God. To know we haven't been abandoned. That no matter what we have or have not done, God is right with us. Using and operating according to that logic of grace. Whether we deserve it or not, that love and that presence isn't going anywhere. God's extended forgiveness never stops, never ends, and never fails. It might look that way, right? When I think about what TJ has gone through over the last few weeks, I think it, it might look like God's abandoned us. It sure might seem like that. But my prayer is that TJ's faith is not that God's going to magically make it better, but that no matter what TJ endures, God's going to give him the strength for one more day. God's going to give him enough faith to accept the grace God's given so he can extend it to other people. It's that logic of faith. It's that logic of grace that gives us the internal ability to trust God even when things look horrible. Because here's the deal. No matter what happens in this life, we know who wins. And it's not death. It's life. Our faith is in God who raised Jesus from the dead, who takes dead things and breathes new life into Him. That's the God we serve. And that's the faith we have. Lent, here's the bookend, Lent is our time to practice being in the desert. Lent's our chance to train, to cultivate, to develop that kind of faith that allows us to operate according to grace and to forgiveness and love even when our circumstances are bleak, even when we're going through the desert. Lent is our chance. God's purpose for me is not that my life be wonderful and roses. God's purpose for me is that I might develop those deep character traits of faith and grace and love that endure no matter what's happening. And that's my prayer for each one of you this Lenten season, is that we keep doing the next right thing, the next step, the next ability to receive that gift God's offering so we can cultivate that deep faith independent of circumstances. And so I hope, pray that you would, you would pray with me, Lord, we are grateful for examples like Abraham, who when you called, uprooted his life and turned faith into a verb. Faith as, as, a, as a kind of trust, faith as a, as a kind of faithfulness to you. We're grateful. We're grateful for the example of Jesus who trusted not that you would remove the cross from his path, but trusted that in the midst of great pain and suffering, that your redemptive work was not over, was not finished. I pray for each one of us that we would continue to receive the gift you offer and to cultivate the kind of faith that transcends our circumstances. We are grateful for your love. We are grateful that you operate according to the logic of grace. Help us to do the same. Amen. If you would please join our closing song.